Welcome to Inspired Artist Podcast with me, Porter Singer. In this episode, I'm speaking with Simona. Simona is a creator of a sacred dance method called Kundalini Rhythms Dance, which comes from practices that she's been doing for a long time, as well as Qigong. She is a dance anthropologist and we know each other from the Kundalini Yoga community. Simona and I have done and plan to do more workshops in the future. I have one on my own that's coming up October 23rd. You can go to my website to find out more about that, portersinger.com. And let's get into this podcast. Here we go. So the last time we saw each other, we taught a workshop together. And that was the first time that I had experienced your dance or your dance teaching style. I've seen your dances before, but oh, you froze. Uh Oh, I'll wait. It says my, it's probably me. Okay. There, there we go. Hi, you back. Okay. Yes. It says my internet is unstable, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, but we'll try to get through this. Um, so and that was that was sort of like a blend of belly dancing. It seemed like qigong. Do you mm-hmm. want to kind of explain how you came to meld like these traditions together? Yes. So um, I'm the creator of this uh, method, the sacred dance method, which I call Kundalini uh, Rhythms Dance. Um, basically, it comes from uh, um, practice and studies that I have done since I was a teenager. I have studied sacred dance and anthropology of dance uh, at university and uh, have been dancing on stage since I was 16, 17. And um, so I did my, um, my experience in vibrational arts, uh, Qigong and yoga since I was very, very little. So a few years ago when um, I left the Kundalini Yoga community, I needed to retune into that space of creative arts and uh, dynamic and conscious movement. So I kind of uh, spiritually and with my heart, I went back to my years on stage, years at the university. And uh, I started to remember that there was already something in, uh, in, you know, in the oven <laughs> cooking for me, just I left it into the yeah. oven. <laughs> and um, so three or four years ago, I said, you know, I needed to take that back and started to elaborate, integrate. Of course, I started to study more the Qigong tradition, the Shaolin tradition, and the Thailand, uh, um, the Thai tradition of Qigong, which is more feminine than the, the Shaolin. And I started to notice that a lot of uh, these beautiful movements in Qigong, they look like a dance, especially when you really enter into the flow of meditation. So belly dance, oriental dance, is a type of dance that really recalls the feminine energy. It's a sacred type of dance originally. Um, is it, It's considered one of the oldest forms uh, uh, of dance in the world, like uh, the oldest uh, uh, of all. And uh, um, it was connected to the goddess rituals and uh, worships. So um, connecting these type of dance with uh, the um, Qigong, it just came so natural. So instead of to make the movement of oriental dance so fast, I make them slower. And I combine with certain movement of Qigong and it just became so harmonious. So when I do Kundalini rhythms dance, I integrate oriental dance because it's a natural dance for, for many. It, it actually, if you tune in into your heart space, the movements will become a very spontaneous. And the Qigong is also a very natural form of movements. And then I add energy healing because I'm trained as an energy healer. And of course, meditation because I have practiced meditation since I was a child as well. So it's been like a 20 years path of research and uh, observing um, using it on myself uh, and uh, on my students, uh, with my students. Uh, it's been um, a process. 
And I think now is uh, getting this beautiful form that you saw that really combines, uh, in, it integrates very well, I would say, <laughs> Oriental dance and Qigong. Of course, all the, the rest, it just comes along, come along. So my first experience of belly dance was a birthday party for my grandfather <laughs> and they hired, you know, a belly dancer. It, I, I'm really curious because so Qigong seems like you're very internally focused when you're doing it. I've never actually done it, but I, well, I guess I have a little bit with you. Um, <laughs> belly dance. And I wonder if this was its original purpose or if it's just what it became, seems to be like an attracting of men dance okay so speak to me about that <laughs> no um so as i was saying before both uh, movements arts so qigong and oriental dance they come from within mm. so it's an internal form uh, belly dance if you don't start from the inside it, it doesn't happen because uh, it it gets you in touch with that feminine aspect of yourself that unless you allow it it it's very difficult to express it. As I was saying before, it has origin. It's very ancient. There are traces back to the Neolithic time and even Upper Paleolithic time. So we're talking about a few thousand years back. And originally, it was connected to the goddess rituals because 10, more than 10,000 years ago, especially the European areas, what, what is today Europe, Europe and the Middle East was, um, the, was a, a goddess uh, worshippers type of land. So the, the dance, as well as the music, the drumming was connected to the ritual of the goddess, fertility, weddings, funerals, everything was uh, connected to the goddess and dance and drumming was part, uh, were part of these uh, uh, performances or, or rituals. Mm. So that's the origin. And there are really techniques like the belly roll um, that we did during the workshop or the spinal undulation or the H shape um, or the chest roll. Those are all movements that if you study, they activate certain flow of energy. Just to give you an example, the belly roll was used in a circle of women with the drums playing in the background when a woman had to deliver a baby. Because these circle of women with the belly rolling in this way and the drumming playing was helping the woman uh, in, uh, in delivering moment to relax uh, and uh, relax the muscles and mm. allow the delivering to be easy. So it was part of that type of ritual. Um, with time, the, uh, the belly dance, the oriental dance has, um, has, has been associated with the uh, Arabic world because that's where it developed as we see it today. But it's a, it's a type of dance that is danced almost everywhere in Europe. So the Middle Eastern country like Romania, Hungary, all these countries, they have a tradition, Greece, they have a tradition of dance that looks like mm. um, belly dance. But what we know today is more, uh, it has developed within the Egyptian culture and then in other uh, country. Mm, so it's kind of complex, but just to answer your question, um, there are two or even three paths that you can take as a belly dancer. There are belly dancers that, yes, they use their body to attract mon uh, money and to attract <laughs> men. <laughs> um, that's a reality. We cannot say it's not like that because it wouldn't be true there is that reality and uh, they get engaged into specific parties and they're their choice. Um, they have very precise rules. Some of them get exploited, there is no doubt. Mm -hmm. Then uh, there is uh, a part of belly dancers. They are professional belly dancers. They do not do party for men. They do mm, weddings, they do 
especially wedding, better they do um, really performances in theaters and competitions. And you have to have very specific skills for that. And it's very tough to be a belly dancer. You have to train I, every day because every day there is something new to discover with your body. Um, and you need a lot of stamina to perform at that level. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, they perform and they are very highly respected. There are belly dancers that are world, worldwide known and they are like divine <laughs> um, dancers. And then there is uh, the other um, path, which is the sacred belly dancers, which is uh, who is me, for example. And there are a few others. Like I have one of my teachers uh, is also a sacred belly dancers, sacred belly dancer, sorry. And um, she's also embracing the sacred path. She does both, she does burlesque and she does the, the, the belly dance. Mm-hmm. It's a very empowering type of dance for women because when you drop your um, self-limitation about moving your body in that way and you get in touch with that feminine way there is immediately a moment where you feel the sacred feminine running through you and it's incredibly empowering then what you want to do with that energy if you want to entertain men or if you want to uplift other women that's a choice of course right but it's not just entertaining men. Actually, most of the belly dancers do not entertain men. Right. No, I, I, that's just kind of the only, I think, depiction of it that I've ever seen in, you know, movies or in, like I said, my <laughs> grandfather's birthday or whatever. So I, I, I feel like that's probably not just me that a lot of people associate belly dancing yes. with kind of like. A, Unfortunately, yes. Yeah. And for a while, I, I felt the same myself. And uh, because I have been uh, doing belly dance for many, many years, and then I stopped. And then I started again, like four years ago, when I left the yoga yeah. community. And I discovered, and I started to study because I um, started to do some research about the origins, uh, the origin of certain type of dance. And I was looking for Persian dance. And through Persian dance, I got into belly dance again. And I started to say, wait a second, and I started to do research and I started to, to see the connection with the goddess rituals and understand that it's not about showing off the body. It's not mm-hmm. about um, entertaining men, but it's, uh, it has a lot to do with uh, really empowering women with their, to get confident and self-confident uh, with their body, accept their body because you mm-hmm. can find belly dancers that have all form of shapes mm. and yeah. some of them are very 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 good yeah. um, so. it's very subtle too just like the the qigong i mean mm-hmm. i don't think i really appreciated that until i was doing it just how like yeah you do feel this there's, there's like a lot more going on inside you than actually can be yes. seen right mm-hmm. yes yeah. it's like um, it's really, I think it is uh, like everything, like uh, even in, uh, in yoga, you know, mm-hmm. you can practice yoga in a physical way. Right. Um, like when I teach in yoga, I have people say, oh, that's stretching. Wait, <laughs> <laughs> there is more than stretching happening. If you allow it to happen, you will see that there is more than just stretching. Um, or when you do vinyasa or the fo- other forms of yoga, um, you know, it's not just the physical happening, there is a something else happening, but you have to give space to that something else to, to happen, to manifest, or to reveal itself to you. And the same goes with the belly dance. So once you have the experience and you have a teacher that can bring you within and feel the body from within, it becomes incredibly therapeutic. It's a weird word in English, but you understood it. So, uh, yes, it's very, very subtle. Yeah. But it's funny because um, I remember when I was doing Kundalini Yoga, when I was in the 3HO cult in like a big way, you know, wearing the turban and 
-hmm. I don't think I really was conscious of how male it was and how rigid everything was. I mean, I, I felt rigidly in it, but I don't think I was aware of that, that like lack of femininity as you're talking about. And I remember Butchin, did you ever meet Butchin from Solstice? Yes. Mm -hmm. I remember her. Yeah, the singer, right? Yeah, she was starting kind of from Canada. Yeah. From Canada. Mm -hmm. She was kind of starting to veer off a little bit and, you know, explore other things. She was kind of falling in love with Mexico. Ironically, I'm in Mexico now. Um, (laughs) But she mentioned something about that, about how like she wanted, you know, to be more in like more practices that embraced more femininity, more, you know, flexibility. And it was sort of one of those things that was like a seed that was planted in my head, but I didn't really, I wasn't really able to do anything with it in that moment. Um, but it's, so it, it's interesting because we both came, right? It, it's like you, you had this, you, then you were in this very rigid practice of Kundalini yoga, and then you sort of came back to this other thing. And I, I feel like I'm kind of, kind of doing yeah. that too. There's a lot more flexibility uh, now in my life. That's good. Consider that when I was up to, to the year when I graduated from, U, uh, from university and consider that I didn't embrace completely Kundalini Yoga until I moved to another town uh, mm. where I was because uh, I started Kundalini Yoga in 2000, 2001. Then I went to university and I graduated in 2004. In these four years, I took the teacher training in Kundalini Yoga, but I was always, you know, escaping the, the, the system. And uh, during this time, uh, you know, I was always, uh, I was in acting uh, company and uh, I was always, you know, well-dressed, heels, short skirts, <laughs> very well-dressed, but I was very, very feminine in everything um, I was um, expressing. Um, I was a little bit of a diva at that time. And then I'm, after graduating, I moved to Rome. And, uh, you know, I entered the system without even realizing it. I went from heels to flat shoes, like in a matter of a month, no makeup from lipstick to no makeup at all. And uh, to hear even when I put a little bit of rimmel being uh, like mocked because I put a little bit of rimmel, uh, um, mascara, how do you say yeah, it? I know what you meant. <laughs> <laughs> English. So I realized then that when I left the, like you said, when I left the Kundalini Yoga community, the first thing I did uh, was putting on a lipstick and mm. uh, putting um, a rimmel. I used to make my nails anyway because uh, Satsimran, the facilitator, had her nails down. So I said, oh, she well. really? <laughs> she does it. I can do well, it. She, she also <laughs> always looked very different, I heard, like when she wasn't teaching white tantric yoga. I mean, she didn't do like the, it was like she was yeah. a certain person, white tantric yoga. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, um, she was, you know, I remember her as a fun person. I don't know the rest, but um, she loved my coffee, so it was fine. <laughs> but yes, the, what you just said, it's interesting because literally I, I really recuperated something that I blamed <laughs> for so long and obscured for so long. And honestly, I feel so happy now. Mm-hmm. I feel more in peace and I even feel more integrated with uh, that feminine aspect Mm -hmm. of myself. And I think the belly dance and the Qigong are the two things that helped me more than anything else to really love that part of me. Yeah. When it sounds like you had that femininity pretty well established before Kundalini Yoga, which is interesting to me because I think my childhood was so flexible and so and my call you know I went to the college that I didn't have to have grades and you know like and then after I got out of college I like created my own rigidity I decided I was going to be raw vegan and I was going to do yoga every you know and so when I found kundalini yoga I was like oh like this is the thing to do I was kind of looking for somebody to tell me like you must do this because I wanted (laughs) I wanted that 
So, yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, probably you had the, the opposite reaction while I was, um, um, how did they, did they call me? I was uh, a little bit loose for them. <laughs> now I was too, too fancy or yeah. you know, heels. Well, and... I, did, I didn't love it for a long time. <laughs> it was like, I stayed in it for a long time, but I think I loved it for like a few months. And then I just kept doing it because I felt like, oh shit, I already signed up for this, you know? <laughs> yes. So, yeah, I understand the feeling. I I was proud of myself because just a month ago, not even a month ago, I think two or three weeks ago, I went uh, in the uh, city center where we have all the beautiful stores and I went to my favorite shoe store and I said, I cannot buy shoes. I have shoes. I have shoes. But <laughs> I was like literally pulled and I went and there were beautiful pair of shoes with really high heels. <laughs> And I said, no, no, I cannot try them. I cannot try them. And the girl said, do you want to try them? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and usually I, you know, they're not. Oh, lost. Hold on. We'll wait for it to come back. Sorry about my internet. Or I'll strike a pose to I have to buy here we them. Are. Here we are. We did it. Okay. Sorry. I lost you at the high heel shoes. The girl told you to try them okay. on. That was all we got. And then you froze. Okay. So I, so I, 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 I tried them on and um, they were perfect. So oh. I was like, oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. I cannot buy anything, but I, <laughs> I, I really need to buy them. So I bought them. So they oh are mine. Like the shoes in Italy. I mean, it's almost like a. They are absolutely like. Yeah. Perfect. Like they <laughs> enter my feet absolutely <laughs> like gloves on my hands. And I said, no, I have to have these shoes. And so I got home and I put them on and I said, oh my God, I haven't been wearing <laughs> these. And they're so feminine. Mm -hmm. Those are really important things that to nurture the feminine um, essence are you recording? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm taking <laughs> okay, it. <sorry>. So <laughs> this is, a, um, it's very, very important because um, it's healthy. It's not that you are doing it for someone else or for something else. You're doing it just for you to reconnect to that healthy aspect of you as a woman because you are not the girl anymore. At 45, you are a woman. <laughs> so um it was something very symbolic for me at that moment. Uh, it's really, I took ownership of that goddess woman that I want to be. And yeah. it doesn't mean that I have to wear heels every day. It just means that I have them. And if I want to wear them, I can, <laughs> you know. Just writing that down. <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah. And I mean, you come from such a, like a culture that I feel like really embraces femininity anyway. I mean, no, <laughs> I might miss Remember that it? Italians are Catholic. Oh, oh well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Remember that because there are different faces um, here. Mm. So on one side, we are not repressed, but on the other side, we are repressed. Mm. So a good woman dresses in a certain way, a bad woman dresses in a certain way. And then there are women that you cannot tame, <laughs> that's me, and you don't know where to put them because you don't know if they're good or bad <laughs> based on how they dress, you know. And plus, you know, I'm not married and I have no children. So I'm more on the bad side than <laughs> the good side. <laughs> And uh, when you are on the bad side, there are preconcepts. And I ha and have been an actress and, an, and a dancer since I was younger, teenagers. And, you know, that's a bad side <laughs> because, uh, you know, you're an, act an actress. So you're an easy girl. There are really? preconcepts. Yes, that's there are preconcepts. That's and, what people uh, think about actresses? Yes. So... Yeah, I was very popular at the university for being the actress. So I was like, I had um, 
like a line of admirers until my friend told me, wait a second, they think that you are easy. That's why. And uh-huh. so I said, well, that's it. I'm not going to uh-huh. go out with anyone. So um, Italy is, is a Catholic country. So there are things that get into our brain, like a brainwashing situation. Um, that somehow makes us feel a little bit guilty if you are too feminine. Yeah. Um, Did you get that? uh, Yeah, yeah, I do. If your video or if your video starts to freeze, I'm going to just try stopping mine um, Mm because I think maybe it just doesn't have enough bandwidth at that moment. I'd rather that people saw you and so... Um, so, so I think that's the reason why I went so hard into Kundalini yoga, you know, to give myself like the same type of uh, perception, oh. but it really didn't work. Yeah. It it's was like, a, like, let's correct myself. A weird way to be a good Catholic. Yes. Like, let's correct myself because, uh, yeah. you know, I wasn't giving the right message mm-hmm. to the world. <laughs> Right. And, and they really impress that upon you. Like if you're yes. getting the wrong kind of attention, then, you know, then you're, you're yeah, doing, it's your fault. You're, you're projecting it wrong. It. You're not meditating enough. Exactly. <laughs> so I did a Sudarshan Chakrakia for two hours and a half for a year and a half. Right, right. It was insane just to clear my aura. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Did you go through a period of feeling guilty about not doing all the things that you thought you had to? Um, after I left Kundalini Yoga, mm-hmm. um, uh, this is a difficult question. Um, I'm not sure I felt guilty because I was uh, so exhausted. And every time I sat down for a meditation, a Kundalini Yoga meditation, I got nauseous. So I was really literally getting oh. very nauseous. So I couldn't meditate. I couldn't do any Kundalini Yoga at all. Not a class, not a meditation. And I was one of those that woke up at 4 a.m. in the morning and did meditation for three, four hours and then went to work. Whoa. So, yeah, it was kind of a um, weird reaction. When I said, that's it, I'm done, mm-hmm. I couldn't sit down, not even the long time sunshine. I, can't, mm-hmm. I couldn't do even the Adi Mantra, zero. Yeah. Um, so I, I didn't feel guilty, but I felt like if I don't do it, my life is going to be ruined. Like, right. Well, it's a type of guilt. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, that's why I say it's complicated because um, I was like, uh, um, because I don't have the energy to sustain it. And in fact, my life went to ruin, but just because I was thinking it was going to ruin, so I was <laughs> right. projecting right, right. Um, the, the, you know, the prophecy. Um, but then I, I, I really, I, I decided that I needed something else and I started to practice more Qigong. And then, you know, I went even to Zoom classes, mm-hmm. which I love. Um, if the teacher is good, Zumba is so fun. And I started to move the energy just differently. And I have been meditating since I was nine. So I started to do just Vipassana meditation. And um, that helped me, but I couldn't do specific uh, Kundalini yoga practice. And I left the way before uh, right. the old situation right. came out. So yeah. I left like a year before because of something directly happened to me that I wasn't okay with and I had enough. So that's why. Mm. Mm. There were a lot of people that were falling out I think that's the wrong word that we're, that we're discovering other things at that point. Um, I was, and two other women in my community also kind of at the same time, we were all going, there's other things that interest us. Yeah. And the thing that stuck out to me the most was I started listening to Abraham. Mm -hmm. Me too. (laughs) And yeah. And, and I kept getting, I was, I couldn't quite like, I couldn't quite piece together why it just started to not make sense that I had to do so much to be a spiritual 
person. Exactly. That's also another thing that was uh, really hitting hard on me Um, because it cannot be so difficult. Like it cannot be so challenging. Yeah. Spirituality, the connection, your connection with your soul should be so natural and so easy. And it's more like uh, it, it was looking more like uh, the Catholic experience. You had to pray. You had to say mea culpa. And I remember that when I was a child, I didn't want to pray this mea culpa. In Italy, we pray this um, song and we hit our chest and we say mea culpa, mea grandissima culpa. And I was like, what am I guilty of? That, <laughs> like, literally, like, I literally the, said that. When the priest is speaking and you like talk <laughs> yes, back. You have to, culpa. you know, hit your chest and then, no, mea culpa. And I was like... <laughs> what did I do? <laughs> Literally. And I was like seven, eight years old. So, and I realized that I'm not that bad that I needed so much work for 20 years. Come on. <laughs> now it's time to rest, to have fun. You know, I, I, I needed to have fun. I'm almost 40 at the time. And my change happened when I was 40. At 40, I started to say, hey, (laughs) I gave you 20 years of my life. And now I have to kind of recuperate that fun part, you know, with, you know, I am a woman. So it's, uh, and I, I, you know, I'm not that bad. I remember saying I'm not that bad. And because I I really, I was thinking to be really that bad. (laughs) And I was like, I'm not. (laughs) And the the messaging is, was so mixed too, because I remember saying that in teacher training, I'm like, you know, it, it seems like you're saying, if we don't do this, we're going to be bad or, or, or somebody's yeah. in the teacher training, they were like, you know, it's not because you were bad. And, and I'm, but I'm going to, yeah, like, this is like, this is like strange cognitive dissonance. Like, it seems like what you're saying is that if we don't do this, we'll be bad, <laughs> but you're not using those words. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 Yeah, and uh, the the old generation and whoever trained with the old generation, they use all the same pattern. So they mm-hmm. learn from one another and they pass down the type of conversation, the type of communication. So I, I started to notice that I was doing the same. So I had to reprogram completely mm-hmm. right. my, my brain, completely my mind. Uh, and I started to completely completely teach in a different way and I started to communicate to people in a completely different way and I have to thank my a couple of students of mine from Florida because they are really open-minded that stick with me and you know stayed with me for up until now they are still with me and by staying their presence I I started to really modify the way how I was uh, communicating with uh, with students and clients and um, what even friends and people like what what's what do you think like first I don't speak anymore in a guilty (laughs) type of communication like I don't make I, I try not to make people think that they have a bad karma so they have to do to something to do to clear their karma mm. because I don't think there is bad karma anymore <laughs> like I don't think karma is just neutral and uh, you just leave the experience from your from from yourself and you make the experience a negative or positive but you make the experience of what it is and uh, you change the effect because you have changed the attitude with which you take care of the situation. So you do not uh, absorb the situation as it is as a negative. And so it becomes a negative karma. So you have to be punished and you have to do something to fix the karma. No, you change the self-concept that you have about yourself. You change your perception of the situation and the situation changes. It's not that bad anymore. Right. <laughs> you know, it's challenging, maybe, you know, interesting to go through it but it's not bad it's not like you don't take it as a victim or as an abuser so you have to be punished for what's happening to you that's uh, one of the things major things that I have uh, changed then I stopped saying people what they have to eat how they have to dress 
eat what you want as long as you are conscious what you put inside your body. Maybe junk food is not a good idea, but if you want to go to McDonald's one day, just go, enjoy it, bless it, <laughs> please do it, and then, you know, live your life. But um, do not... Um, do not just avoid things because they are bad. They are bad because we give them the energy, bad energy. Mm-hmm. Um, or like they dress. I had uh, students in Florida, you know, all kinds of dress or no dress at all. Mm-hmm. And uh, I loved it. I loved it that the people are free and especially women. They came to my classes and they were totally free. So I learned to accept uh, different realities, different expression, different uh, um, way to relate to one another. And I, I learned to accept everyone completely. It's not that before I didn't accept everyone, but I might have had some preconcept because, you know, you had to wear white, you had to have turban, you had to, you know, earrings, no, no, two, <laughs> no. <laughs> and, um, you know, you cannot expose your, bo- your body. And I have students that whoo, expose their body and they're gorgeous, you know. Yeah. And I said, well, keep going, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and... Because that's not the important. The important is what they keep in, the, in their heart. If you are honest, if you are a good person, if you are generous and gentle and loving and kind, to me, you can go around with whatever you want and you are respectful. Mm-hmm. You, you, you deserve my respect. Mm-hmm. That's where I'm coming from. And that's my, uh, my position on that. I felt from teacher training, and maybe you have a similar or different experience, because I find when I talk to people, we've all kind of had different, but maybe somewhat similar experiences. But I always felt like the way to teach was to talk as if I knew, like, mm-hmm. I, I know, I know this, you don't, <laughs> you know, like, mm-hmm. I, whatever I, whatever comes out of my mouth is, is true. And I know better than you. It's, it's more like, yes. I know better than you. And, and I, I really relate to the fact that you teach differently because I teach differently too. I, I don't come from the standpoint of feeling like I know more than somebody anymore. Mm. I might know something different. You know, I might be able to give someone an insight that they hadn't thought of before, but, um, I feel like the most empowering thing is to be able to kind of lead somebody to go like, oh, I just figured something out about myself, you know? Yes, I have this experience and this is very important because after 14 years, um, I started to practice Indian classical dance again with my teacher here in Turin in my hometown in Italy. And um, I, I used to study with her uh, 14 years ago and then when I returned to Italy I, I really needed to have a teacher so I recontacted her and uh, I asked her if she wanted me back because you know with the Indian teacher you needed to um, be very respectful and she said of course so I returned to her and we, sometimes we do conferences with her teacher in, in India oh. and uh, also Indian classical dance teacher, high level, those are called guru Mm. because they're like masters, masters in that specific discipline. And this woman is such an an empowered woman. And uh, she said something very important. I am a guru because I have more experience than you in this, but you are not inferior to me. It is my responsibility to train you well because eventually you are going to perform and you are going to represent this sacred mm-hmm. art. So as a guru, it is my responsibility to be precise, ethically correct, and teach you well. But I am the guru because I went through what you are going through before you. Mm. But she was talking about the technique and the practice uh, itself, you know. She wasn't putting herself above us, spiritually speaking, but technically, 
she was way more prepared than us because sure, she was sure. studying this practice since she was nine years old while we right. started when we were 20, right. you know, um, and she's over 60. Um, and acclaimed dancers all over India. So everybody like bow to her. So it's, uh, it's when a teacher talks that way, she's empowering the students. She's inspiring the students to learn and to follow the steps because you're learning from a person that is highly qualified. Um, but when you talk from a place, uh, I know better than you and you don't know, let me tell you, but I'm not even sure you're going to understand. That's, uh, that's an issue, that's uh, a problem. And uh, what I have learned in my process and my reprogramming is I'm here to empower the other person. It doesn't matter if um, I know more, I have more experience or this person knows more and more experience. If they come to me, they look for empowerment and that's what I'm going to give them. It's in form of knowledge, in form of embodiment, in form of uh, experience, technical experience that will, you know, it will emerge and you will know what you have to do with that person. But if they come to me, they come for empowerment mm. because that's the duty of a teacher. Because if the teacher doesn't empower you, something is off. So the yeah. first question you have to ask yourself, does this teacher empower me or not? Do I feel empowered after her class or his class or not? do I feel small after the class or not so what do you feel if you yeah. feel charged if you feel empowered if you feel integrated that's the right teacher <laughs> mm -hmm. that's that was tricky too I, I feel like for definitely for students of of Yogi Bhajan's and students of his students because the language was that of I'm here to empower you. But mm. the actions that were taken, the, you know, long sermons about how little you know and all this stuff. I mean, mm. if you listen to his, his uh, lectures, yeah. I, I can't mm. even count the amount of times where he was like, you don't know, you don't understand, you have yes. no idea, you know. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, that's why I said, mm, because um, in, uh, in written, uh, like, you know, Kundalini Yoga, the yoga of consciousness, <laughs> and it's not consciousness at all. But anyway, in the, in the written language, they could write anything, but you should have, we should have listened way better to the language itself. Because as you said, you don't know, you have no idea. All these are disempowering right there. It's gaslighting 101. It's not, mm -hmm. not like... Uh, but for example, I didn't even know what gaslighting was because again, I come from a country that they are masters, Italians of gaslighting one another. Culturally, we are the best and, and disempowering one another. Um, so- Why, I'm curious why you say that. Because Italians, uh, they're very creative people, but when you are too creative, someone will come along and say, hmm. That's too creative. <laughs> I don't want to speak too bad about my co-citizens because I do love them. <laughs> but there are dynamics that, you know, passive-aggressive um, quite a bit. Okay. So there is a criticism, um, culturally speaking, mm. toward one another, especially between among women. And so when I entered the yoga community, it was totally normal. <laughs> that you don't know anything or um, you should learn that because you don't know it. It's never enough because culturally your mother in Italy would tell you <laughs> it's not enough. You know, I grew up with a mama that was like never enough. You didn't clean that too well, well or you well. didn't cook that too well. <laughs> so um, when I entered the Kundalini Yoga community, that, that was the normal language. So when I moved to the US, gaslighting, what's gaslighting? Mm. You know, I realized what gaslighting was uh, when I, you know, four years ago. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, 
what's that? I feel like a lot of us did though. That became a a popular term to me not very long ago. Yes. And, and it was because uh, I was uh, dating a guy and uh, he did weird stuff uh, mentally. And I'm not stupid. My brain went a little bit, you know, off. And I said, wait a second. (laughs) That's not right. So I started to, and thank God I have a lot of friends who are therapists and psychiatrists. Like Uh I have a list of them as friends. (laughs) So I started to talk and this person started to explain to me what gaslighting was. And, uh, and that's when I started to see the dynamic also within the community um, mm. and how I allowed it. Because when you, you asked me, did you feel guilty um, of not practicing Kundalini Yoga? I felt more, more guilty of, or I blamed myself for letting them uh, morph my brain like why did I allow it like I'm an educated person and I know how to reason I have been independent independent all my life I'm untamable. <laughs> like ask my mom she was like oh my god they they, they succeeded <laughs> something I failed and uh, you know, I, I blame myself and that's why I started to do the uh, reprogramming on my language. And that's when I learned, you know, PNL uh, or NLP. And now I'm confusing Italians um, <laughs> uh, symbols and stuff. But, and, you know, I started to really understand how this really works and uh, mess up with your mind because they also attach to your insecurity, your original guilt, mm-hmm. um, maybe some trauma that is still lingering in your aura and, uh, and in your mind, in your nervous system. So they kind of attached themselves to, it's like you have hooks <laughs> around your, your aura and your nervous system and these mm-hmm. things attached to it and because they can get nurtured. Because if mm-hmm. you have some uncertainty uncertainty sorry and self-doubt or insecurity or fear about something it's easy mm-hmm. to get in and manipulate that mind yeah and, most people uh, do. yes fact, i don't know anybody who doesn't but yeah i feel i i watched it i watched a cool netflix mini series about money and there was one about scams about scamming and I feel like, it, and, and one, one of the beautiful things actually that I got from the documentary is, is uh, was some psychologist or sociologist at the end says, you know, people ask me, how can we live in a society where people don't get scammed? In this case, it was like financially scammed, you know, like mm-hmm. Matt, Matt off and, you know, like Ponzi schemes and stuff like that. But she said, I wouldn't want to live in a society that where you couldn't be scammed because that would mean that we would live in a society without trust. So I feel like every, you know, everybody wants to trust and mm-hmm. it just, you know, these, when people play off of your insecurities, you're that, that's sort of like a different aspect of it too, but. Yeah, no, I understand that part, but um if we take the other perspective, like if people wouldn't scam, the society would be free of scam and each other, <laughs> we can trust each other more easily. Right, right, right. Instead, of we start from the perspective that someone is going to scam us. It's normal, <laughs> yeah. You know, and so the, scam, the, the, the untrust alert, you know, kicks in mm-hmm. first. It would be more relaxing to know that you know, yeah. our society is, is completely free of, free right. of a scam. You know, I received like 10 calls a day from scammers and right, I don't right. even answer the phone anymore. Mm. And uh, it's not it's... just trust, it's a, it's a waste of my time. So sure. they're stealing every time. It's like really irritating. Sure. But I feel like we would have no trust if we expected 
everyone to be a scammer. So we must have like at least a much greater percentage of the population that's, you know, living by some, some sort of integrity than. Yes, we needed to also work on our intuition and uh, our heart openness. And because heart openness is not necessarily like being stupid. Sure. Uh, it's actually um, an, an aspect of our intuition. So the more the heart is open to receive it, the more we are open to see the scum yeah. and prevent it. While people close down and they actually make themselves way more vulnerable mm-hmm. to scammers because uh, then you become, uh, you know, you, you become insecure. But with your heart open, you receive it immediately because you feel something is around now. That's not (laughs) quite right. 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 And you wouldn't need it, right? Like if, Mm -hmm. you know, somebody came up to you and they were like, oh my God, I have this way to make your life, you know, so much better. And all you have to do is this. And you're like, well, I I like my life as it is now. So (laughs) you have to Yes, exactly. Like, you know, let's, let's see the, let's see the spreadsheet or, you know, whatever. I don't see that this is yeah. going to make my life that much better. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. It's it's one eleven for me, which is kind of a nice, nice little uh, yeah. eight eleven divine number. Eight eleven. Yes, eight eleven is a good. A oh, one eleven. You said. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because I'm I'm in Mexico. <laughs> yes. Thank yeah. you so much, Simona. Um, can you tell everyone how they can stay in touch with you and find out what you're doing? Yes, so thank you for asking. Well, I have two websites. Um, one is for yoga and Qigong, also my dance practice like belly dance. Um, and one was, website is www.simonayoga.life. The other website is specific for Kundalini Rhythms Dance and is www.kundaliniRhythmsDance.com. And uh, I offer private classes, uh, empowering coaching program, um, live stream and on-demand classes so I have classes for everybody including rentals <laughs> and buy single classes uh, so I have different options and people can always reach out to me and I for belly dance I have a very beautiful programs for absolute beginners meaning you have never done belly dance before I'm specializing on absolute beginners and really introducing you to the dance and uh, you know the history and the culture and everything wonderful okay i'll put all those links in the description box of the podcast and also the video if you're watching it on youtube so thank you so much for joining us and we will see you next time bye thank you bye for more conversations like this and to help us share this podcast, please subscribe on the platform of your choice as well as leave us a comment. To keep in touch with me and receive updates, please sign up for my newsletter at portersinger.com. You'll get a free download as well as receive updates on my self-healing sound courses, workshops, and other community building events that I'm creating. Have a beautiful day.